Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Commonwealth Magazine podcast in partnership with Transit Matters. I'm Josh Fairchild. I'm a board member of Transit Matters and your erstwhile host of the podcast. Today, I am joined by two guests, Matt Lawler and Vivian Ortiz. Matt is the co-founder of Walk Up Rosie. He's a board member of Walk Boston, and he's the co-founder of Streets Blog, uh, which is just now getting started up. So hopefully we'll have time to talk about all three of these things. Vivian Ortiz is the founder of Mattapan Food and Fitness, and she can be regularly seen um, encouraging a healthy, walkable, and bike riding lifestyle uh, in, in several neighborhoods in Boston. Um, and is also known for handing out uh, reflective gear um, so that people who uh, ride the bike um, will feel more safe. Matt, this is actually, I didn't plan the date of the, of the podcast um, intentionally, um, but uh, just today uh, was released the third uh, anniversary report on the Vision Zero effort in Boston. And so we'll talk about that. But first, Vision Zero is kind of one of those catchphrases that people who are familiar with um, the policy areas around uh, walking and biking and transit will be familiar, but others, it may go over their heads. So let, can you take a little bit to unpack that, what that means? It's, it's not just a Boston effort, but what that means uh, and, and how it has unfolded in Boston. Yeah, sure. So I think um, initially Vision Zero is a concept that's a Swedish concept, came out of um, Sweden about, I'd say, 20 to 25 years ago. Um, and it was an effort um, to establish a date by which um, in a city or, or a or town um, there would be zero um, serious injuries or fatalities from people who are traveling on their streets, uh, whether that's driving, walking, biking, taking transit, however you're getting around. Um, basically, it was pick a date, um, get to zero serious injuries or fatalities. Um, I believe Stockholm might have been the first city in the world to adopt such a policy. Um, it came to the U.S. in the last decade or so. Um, and Boston picked up on this movement um, with the start of, of the Walsh administration in 2015, um, excuse me, 2014. So when the administration came in, they were elected in, in the fall of 2013. Um, as part of the transition, um, they worked and, and decided to take the plunge and, and adopt Vision Zero. Um, now I believe Cambridge has adopted it, um, and I, I'm not sure if Somerville has, but, but certainly the movement um, is for larger cities in Massachusetts to be looking at this seriously and, and to adopt it. New York has had it for quite some time. San Francisco, there are a number of places in the U.S. now that have, that have adopted this policy. Thank you for that, because I didn't even realize this came um, from Sweden. Oh. Um, I became aware of it around you know, 2012, 2013, as things were coming off the ground uh, in other okay. cities around. Um, now, out of the corner of my eye, while, while, I, while you were giving that uh, overview of Vision Zero, uh, Vivian was, was waving to me that I have, she has many superpowers, but I have mislabeled them. Um, so, Vivian, please, please correct the record. Well, I am Vivian. I live in Mattapan, and I'm involved in a lot of different things. So I just go by Vivian, the, the active transportation advocate Perfect. that happens to live in Mattapan. Perfect. So I think um, then the next question is perfect for you. Um, and forgive my prologue, um, typically we talk about purely more transit kind of uh, um, topics here. But the connection, I think, is very important between transit and active forms of transportation and walkability. Um, and, and the stat that I like to, to quote, which um, is, is that really only about 14% of a household's weekly trips are, are the commute trip. And when we think about transit, we're often thinking just about the commute trip. And so what makes it really important for the other 86% of trips um, by which we can accomplish our uh, carbon reduction and active lifestyle goals um, 
and safety and Vision Zero goals is land use and walkability uh, or, or, or safety for the people who are walking and biking. Because if all of the things that you need in the other trips that are not your commute, tri commute trips are close enough to you, you still need to be feeling comfortable and safe to walk or ride a bike to them and not just jump into your car because that feels automatic and that feels safe and you, and you feel unsafe when you're not in it. Um, so we, we have good examples here of two uh, advocates um, who know a lot about these things. So I, I, I guess my question for you, Vivian, is um, how did you get into um, your enthusiasm for this? And what are some, if you could think of one example of something really prescient um, that keeps you fired up about this being a really important um, area. Okay. First of all, let me just give you a little background. I am from El Paso, Texas. So I was a person that drove a car everywhere until I moved to New York City to go to school in 2009, 2007 rather. Moved to Boston in 2009 where everybody told me, nope, transportation here is not like it is in New York City. It's not 24 hours. You can't get everywhere you need to. And you're going to need to get a car. And I was like, mm, I don't think so. My first winter, I don't want a shovel. I don't want to pay $30 for parking. And folks in this community drive extremely aggressively. So I commuted for five and a half years from my home in either Dorchester, Quincy, or Mattapan to Mass Bay Community College, which was the red line to the green line. So I was a huge fan of the MBTA for a very long time because that was my choice on how it was that I was going to get around. Folks thought I didn't know how to drive because I had moved here from New York. And I was like, uh, I've been driving since I was 16 years old. But in El Paso, we have four-lane highways. And it's very comfortable. When I go home, it's like I get into a car and that's the way it's supposed to be here. But not here. It does not work for me here. So um, moved to Mattapan in 20, 2009 and then started working on a – I left the job that I had in 2015 um, to work with Mattapan Food and Fitness Coalition under a grant that we had. And a lot of the work we were doing had to do with active transportation. I had been really interested in riding a bike. A lot of my girlfriends were riding bikes home in El Paso, but I didn't really know how. So found a way through the city of Boston and learned how to ride a bike, fell in love with it. Um, now I'm one of the instructors for that program. And I live in a neighborhood where folks are um, very proud of having their cars. And whenever there are situations that have to do with any kind of public meetings, having to do with how are we going to kind of change the, the mode of transportation and make it so that we can get around easier and make sure that we are sharing the road. Um, there's a lot of resistance to that. Um, a lot of the neighbors that I that I live around um, spent the majority of their lives on the T and they felt like I'm never getting back on. It's not a reliable system. It doesn't work for me. Um, I want to be able to use my car. I want to be able to go in my car wherever I want. And you, the city, has to figure out a way for me to be able to travel throughout my neighborhood. Um, since I had already transitioned and found that it was just easier for me um, to get around, um, that's just become my way of life. And now I'm, I'm able to either use the T or ride my bike or walk. So I, I kind of get around everywhere really, really excited that the commuter rail, um, the, the Blue Hill Ave station has finally opened up. I absolutely love it, 20 minutes from Blue Hill Ave to South Station. So I, for me, it works for me, and it's been... Um, a switch that just for me is is just the way that that it works, but unfortunately, I don't I don't find that that I have a lot of cheerleaders in my camp when it comes to my neighbors because um, they've transitioned to completely being folks that are in cars. So um, I oftentimes find myself um, alone in that community, um, and and it's difficult. Um, and folks haven't found that, and as in throughout the entire city that 
the way that our public transportation system is, is now, it's not reliable. It's not something that they necessarily want to um, invest their time and money in. So instead, they prefer just to go ahead and spend all that time in cars. So it's it's a little difficult. So ask me the question again because <laughs> no I think I think the being propelled by the, the prior experiences in your life right and just what you wanted for yourself right. um, and for your neighbors I think that's that's great um, and and so much of it goes hand in hand the um, once people are comfortable walking around they're more likely to take transit now there's the whole issue of whether or not the transit is reliable um, but we know that once people get in their cars they're less likely to stop and get on a bus or a train or something like that because they're already that's just convenient. Exactly. Now Boston is interestingly um, known as one of the most walkable cities uh, in America, um, and we have this this amazing historic urban fabric that goes back hundreds of years that originally was just walking, um, and there really was not much else until the streetcars came along, except for people who could you know afford horses and you know to live in Brookline and something like that. So, um, so we have a a historic legacy of walkability in our downtown. There's a lot of needed, you know, focus on that. But there's also the neighborhoods um, that don't get as much, perhaps, attention. Maybe, maybe they are getting that. Hopefully, um, hopefully, Matt, you can tell me, and Vivian, you can tell me if the neighborhoods are getting enough attention. Um, but what is, how are, we, how are we doing three years in as far as focusing on both the needs uh, for, for walkability and bike riding, you know, in our historic walkable downtown and also in the neighborhoods? Um, so I would say, um, I, I think consistent with the with the report that came out today on Vision Zero, and I think this applies to Go Boston 2030 as well, I think we're making progress toward it. I think those of us who are advocates think the progress is not fast enough. Um, and so we are you know, constantly pushing um, in various ways to try to sort of speed up the pace at which change is happening. Um, but I would say certainly, you know, in the neighborhoods, this, these things are, are being brought out. You know, neighborhood slow streets is now in place in, in two neighborhoods in Boston. It's being rolled out to another five. Um, you know, we've had improvements in Roslindale that we advocated for early on in Walk Up Roslindale, um, you know, that have, that have improved one corridor, one arterial corridor, um, and then the square itself, Roslindale Square, which is sort of the center of the neighborhood. Um, so I think, I think we're starting to see it. Um, but I think you're exactly right. Your point's really well taken that so much of the walkability in Boston is because the bones of the city are so good. Um, it's interesting to me that we have, and especially in the core, um, the walkability level is really incredible. Um, we historically for many decades have not done enough to really make it as walkable as it could be. Almost in spite of the fact. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, there are, you know, the, the technical term in the advocacy community is strodes. I mean, there are lots of strodes in downtown Boston, streets that are really like highways out in the country. You know, you could tick them off Tremont Street. Um, Charles Street, the section between the Garden and the Common is, is horrendous. Um, there are parts of Tremont, um, um, uh, Beacon Street. Um, you know, it's just there's a lot that needs to be done, and, and we're starting to tackle it. And, and, it's, and it's, a, it's, again, the legacy of decades of doing things to make everything easier for people to get around in cars. Um, but it's going to take a while, really, to sort of build momentum to sort of make these changes again. I don't know, Vivian, what your view of things is like in Mattapan. There's a lot of ed education that needs to take, put to take place in some of the neighborhoods. Um, Mattapan is made up of different communities that are not from this country originally. So the whole idea of what does Vision Zero mean? You know, the city does come out. We have public meetings. But um, the method of outreach doesn't work in a lot of the different neighborhoods. Um, we don't speak the vernacular. Some of us understand it. But 
there's a sense of distrust that happens quite often. We just had a community meeting the other night. Um, Cummins Highway is an area that's going to start getting looked at. And there were a lot of people there, a lot, a lot of people that were there. But how many of them were in favor of this? Um, they see that bike lanes means gentrification. They don't see it as something that, you know, maybe my grandchild might be able to ride safely. I might feel more comfortable walking on the sidewalk. Um, the city was really, really trying its hardest to, to, to let folks know there is no plan set. This is something that we're starting to work on. Um, there are neighbors that are still very resistant of the Cummins, of the, rather, the, the Blue Hill Ave station coming. It's been open for over a month now, and they're still not liking it. And, and there just has to be a lot of work within neighborhoods to build that trust, to make sure that folks understand that these changes are going to be for the positive for everyone. And, and just come up with different methods of outreach because we cannot use the same way that we communicate with all neighborhoods within the city of Boston. Um, just recently, you know, the, the, I called out the MBTA. They don't give out information at public meetings in multiple languages and expect folks to come. The meetings are always held at times that are inappropriate and locations that are not accessible for folks. Then we're not doing anything about talking to the person that's waiting for the trolley in Mattapan Station to find out what it is that they're interested in. We're not doing that. We're now looking to see what we can do about Blue Hill Ave and improving bus service. But are you actually talking to people that are in Mattapan Square to ask them? No, we're talking to the folks that are the professional meeting goers that come to every meeting that ask them, when was the last time that you actually used public transportation? We can fill a room, but are we filling the room with the people that need to be asked and the ones that are actually using the system? So, you know, walkability and, and they go in hand in hand. If you're if the sidewalks and folks don't feel that that walking on that sidewalk is safe, the fact that we have a 25 mile power speed limit and a lot of my neighbors still to this day do not know about it. They don't know what the paint means on the street. And I bring that up to public officials on a regular basis. We have no public service announcements to let folks know. Why are we not using media outlets to let folks know? Why are we not using um, Haitian radio stations and, and Spanish language radio stations to let folks know what's going on? Everything's in English, and it's only for a population that is involved. And even if you do speak English and you were raised in this country, you may not understand what all of the the the, the the different infrastructure needs and all of the terminology and just because a person doesn't raise their hand up in a meeting saying, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, doesn't mean that they get it. All right. So there's a lot, a lot of education that needs to go hand in hand. My neighbors don't understand why the streets are not paved. They think that the city did it. The utility companies are the ones that are coming. They break up the streets. It takes forever. They don't get it. They think it's because we're black and brown. And that's why. White neighborhoods get this and we don't. And, and that is where we... The city is doing a better job of hiring people that look like us, but as far as getting people that work, that live in the neighborhoods to be the ones that are better informed, we have a lot of work to do. So, so being, you know, three years since Vision Zero was sort of started, which is actually four, four. four years, four. which yep. is, which is several more years even <laughs> since we began being talked about, um, I guess, what are some of the, the concrete goals um, and what, and where, where are we at? Like, how, how are we doing? So yeah, you know, I, I think the, the the goal remains the same. You know, it's vision, it's zero by twenty thirty. So twenty thirty is the date that Boston picked, um, and I think the data are showing. You know, the data that's out today from uh, the Vision Zero Coalition, you know, shows that fatalities are down, um, and so you know we had 
for example, 14 pedestrian fatalities in 2016. I remember that. That was a bad year. Um, 2018, last year, we were down to seven, so that's in half. Um, that's, that's great progress. Um, I do think we're still seeing the data showing that, you know, there's still a lot of car crashes. Um, and, you know, that sort of that, that number has been trending, you know, somewhere around 3,000 to 3,500 um, in that range. Um, that's, that's problematic. That's something we need to work on. Um, so I think generally speaking, the trend lines are, you know, better and, you know, if they're not, if they're not better, they're at least not any worse than they were when, when the program was adopted. Um, but I think, you know, on the, on the biggest goal, which I think is to, to slow traffic down, because I'll just give you the, the two second version of the thing that kills people on our streets. If you're not in a car and even if you're in a car is speed. Right. So if you're a pedestrian or a cyclist and you get hit by a car, if that car is going 20 miles an hour, your chances of surviving are much, much, much better than if it's going 30 or 35 or 40. And so it's that sweet spot of getting cars to not – people are driving not to go 35 but to go 20 to 25. That's really the important thing. That was what was behind going to 25 miles an hour as the default speed limit in Boston. We've got to do better, and there's been some progress in terms of bringing the, the top-level speeding down, the people going 40, 45. Just putting – just changing the speed limit helped, but – you know, there are changes that need to be made to slow cars down, people who are driving down, because that is a thing that saves lives. Um, and that, can, and that, you know, that can be done in many different ways. Um, you know, one of the things that, that comes up is, is enforcement, and enforcement is inherently problematic. Um, but, it, but at some level, it needs to be done, right? Um, so it's a, it's a difficult sort of discussion, but it needs to be thought of very carefully. Um, but I think, you know, we, we need to do better. We need to do better on enforcement. And there's b bills pending up at the state house in terms of, you know, automated enforcement. Um, you know, things like school zones. We don't we don't have camera-based school zone enforcement, which is crazy to me anywhere in Massachusetts right now. Um, Excuse me, was, we don't even have signage in front of all the schools right, to let folks a, know that it's a true. twenty mile per hour good speed limit. Good point, Vivian. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I mean, there, that's just an, that's like how far away we are. And so we we need to do better on that. You know, parks. Places where you know young people, vulnerable, you know older folks are going to use facilities need to be protected better than they are. Um, so there's sort of that stuff, and then um, you know it's very important that we make the changes to designs of our streets, um, and that's rolling out again. Um, but it's rolling out you know more slowly than I think advocates would want it to, no, no question. Um, and you know I think again the, the report is showing progress, but you know I think we want progress to happen faster. I don't know, Vivian, if you have different thoughts on. The enforcement thing yeah. is yeah. is difficult. Yeah. Living in the community in which I live, um, I I'm in support of the fact that we need to do more to be enforcing folks. Um, and when I've mentioned that, I, I kind of get attacked by folks. How is it possible? Black and brown people, they're going to get murdered because they're going to get pulled over by. And I'm like, we're talking about speeding, speeding. Folks know they can get away with it, so they're going to continue to do it. It's wonderful to have those signs. Oftentimes when I'm walking home, I'll stand right outside, right next to one of those signs, and just kind of look at it. And people are like, oh, who is she, that woman that's out there? And you'll see that they slow down, but we can't have people out there 24 hours a day. But, but folks, they don't, they, don't, they don't get it. You know, my neighbors don't know what Vision Zero means. They don't know what that is. It's just some name of something that's happening in other neighborhoods and yes. don't don't quite get it. So and I'll just follow up with that. I think you made the point earlier, Vivian. I think I think a public information campaign about this program for everyone, mm -hmm. but in particular communities that have just not even been tapped at all, um, is a really a key component. And the report speaks to that a little bit. I think I think more needs to be done 
to really sort of highlight the importance of Vision Zero and people slowing down on our streets and, and you know, sort of, you know, a little bit's been done, but not nearly enough. And, and that's one key component that I think hopefully we'll see more of as, this, as the program matures and, and becomes some more sort of ingrained in the way that the city goes about things. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> a, few, a few things uh, worthy of, you know, thinking about for people who are maybe new to the topic is, you know, first of all, people would say, well, if we're wanting to cut down to congestion, why are we slowing down cars? And I always try to remind people that basically the average speed in Boston is somewhere between like 12 and 18 miles per hour. So even if you have the spurt of going 30, like you're not really going to get there much faster. And we need to also start thinking about, you know, throughput as all people of, of the community. It's not just people going through our community, it's people in the community. So if all the modes can be encouraged and we we can actually all get there a little bit faster if if some of us slow down and make everyone safer. But the funny thing in Boston is that a lot of the streets, and this is not just Boston, but a lot of the places in Boston where we, we do have a pretty low speed limit compared to lots of other cities, we're making great progress, we're proposing now 20 miles an hour, but people will, will say, well, it, it feels artificially low. And that gets to the environment. The, the, the cues of the street, the cues of the environment don't ask me to slow down. There have been some great treatments uh, that I know of. Uh, I, I did live in Rosendale. I now live in West Roxbury. Some great street treatments that when you're walking through or you're driving through now, places that used to be a speed limit of, of 25, and you, but people were going through at 35 or 40, and I'm thinking of um, uh, Walter yeah. um, near the Arboretum. Uh, now there are some, some things of narrow, and they're not expensive treatments, but they've done some things to narrow down the street in some places. Um, and it just feels more natural to go more like 20 now. Right. Um, or even slower when you go through where there's the, the crosswalk. You feel like you should slow down to 15 maybe. Right. Um, so where are we as far as making progress on that? And I guess the second part, Matt, because you've had a really, an extremely successful organization, Walk Up Rosie, that has sort of made that more of a bottom-up um, demand by the community that we want these things as opposed to just this asking the city to come do it to us. Yeah. Um, what has brought that about, and what have you, have you seen? Um, how have you seen that take place? Well, it's, I'll say that the Walter Street stuff, which is not far from where I live, um, was actually the neighborhood association that's been there for time out of mind since there's a school called the Longfellow School that closed um, and was converted to um, senior residential maybe 20 years ago. The reuse of that property spawned the neighborhood group that has um, sort of kept on these issues. So Walter Street is really an outgrowth of a bunch of us who are Walk Up Rosno people, but are also uh, involved with this neighborhood association, pushing for a long time about speeding on that particular two-lane arterial street. Um, and I would say that that your your point's really well taken. That um, I drive that. I'm a much better driver. I've recently, I've become more active in walkability and, and safety of walking. And like I said recently, I am now a much slower driver than I used to be. I'm getting much slower as I get older. <laughs> and and you, people, people, you're right. People who are driving behind you will honk at you, be upset that you're going the speed limit, you know that kind of thing. And so many streets in Boston are still designed and and operated in ways that suggest you should be going a lot faster. And that's a legacy of you know the decades after the Second World War, where we just everything got got sort of grouted, you know, you know, flushed out, and we made things really easy for people to drive. And every, anything that interfered with that was sort of taken off the street, right? Um, so the more we put that stuff back in, you, it, it's definitely a process for people to learn how that works. Um, but you're exactly right. The improvements that were made um, on Walter Street, similar improvements have been done on Tremont Street in the South End, um, where you basically install good crosswalks, and then you you actually put a median in the crosswalk with some flex posts and really narrow the heck out of the lanes 
as they go through. Like I've even noticed cab drivers occasionally when I'm coming home, you know, late at night from something and I've taken a cab, I'm noticing cab drivers slowing down on Walter Street to go through those treatments. I mean, it slows you down. Um, and so th those are the kinds of things that I think definitely need to happen on many, many more arterials. The Neighborhood Slow Streets program is great for residential neighborhoods. The, street, the city is very clear that that's only for residential streets. But we've got lots of arterials that need this kind of treatment. Um, and one of the critiques in the, in the report is that so far there's been a little too much only doing certain locations as opposed to entire corridors. And, that, and that's something that, you know, I assume the, the Cummins Highway discussion will include at some level, you know, sort of better crosswalks, improved crosswalks um, for that stretch of Cummins, the two-lane stretch of Cummins. So this will probably be a good, um, and we'll have to be closing, wrapping it up actually, but a good question uh, maybe to give Vivian maybe the final word. Um, you know, so I have personally lived in recently in Roslindale and West Roxbury. And I've actually lived um, within a few blocks of two places where there were fatalities, um, and Walk Up Rosie responded to both, um, e even even in, in West Roxbury, where um, they're trying to kind of germinate that and 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 use that as a motivation for the community to to do something with with the frustration and the anger and and, and the and all the emotions there, uh, rightfully so. Um, so I'm familiar with those efforts. Um, I don't live in in Mattapan um, or Dorchester. Uh, or Roxbury. Um, so Vivian, what's happening there from the bottom up? Is 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 there something taking place that's beginning to work and to, to ask for those kind of treatments to come to make the community organically safer as opposed to top-down enforcement safer? Well, fortunately in the neighborhood in which I live and because of the fact that I am just really adamant about trying to get my neighbors to understand that we can slow down the traffic, neighborhood associations Oftentimes, a lot of what they're talking about is, oh, my God, these cars are speeding, these cars are speeding. But it kind of goes back to that education. So um, having a, a positive relationship with some of our friends at BTD, it was like, you know, we, we need you guys to come to our neighborhood associations and try to explain to folks that, that we can um, work on some things. Um, there was a meeting not too long ago where a lot of residents in Dorchester were really, really frustrated. I am a constituent in Andrea Campbell's district, and just hearing so much from her residents that – We've applied for these, and we haven't gotten them. We keep asking for it. What is it that we're doing wrong? What is it that we need to do? And so a team from BTD came to a meeting and listened to residents about what these situations and concerns were, and so now they're, they're starting to look at those. But those are kind of case by case. So in our neighborhood association, when, I, when my neighbors were saying that, I'm like, you know, please, we, we need to come and do some education. So we have traffic calming measures on my street now, on River Street, because of the fact that we have a relationship with some of the members of BTD and folks were saying, this isn't working, this crosswalk, cars are doing this, drivers are doing this. And now we have that on River Street and these same neighbors are getting it. They get that these are little things. Now there are like extremes on the other side, that's not enough. You need more than flex post, you need to do it, but we're starting and, and cars that are driving down that street are getting it. I'm a much more confident cyclist on my street, which is, deads in into river street when i'm riding my bike at night and there's a, a car that's a driver that's trying to creep up on me i will stick my hand out and let them know you need to slow down because we're coming around a corner and there's a flex post in the middle of the street and then they're like oh all right i get it so the more of those little fixes that we see in our neighborhoods for folks to get it oh this isn't just in those other areas this is something that we can do here then I think we'll start to get that buy-in. 
But then there's also that education. Me personally that understands that have have offered to go to neighborhood associations because the city, there's only a certain number of staff members that can go to these public meetings. I understand it. I live near you. Let me come and explain to you what this works and how what we can do to advocate so that this will happen because neighborhood slow streets is great, but we're not all going to get it. There's just not enough money in the world, but there's little fixes that we can do. But the, again, it's that education of making folks to understand this can happen in your neighborhood. This doesn't just happen over there. And I hope we come up with some some way of decentralizing some of the funding so that the neighborhoods um, can, you know, like CPA funds, it comes from the neighborhoods. Can it go back to the neighborhoods? And how can they, from the bottom up, elect of what, what can be done <clears throat> to make themselves feel more comfortable? And I hope that what you're both talking about today shows that there will be some acceleration. 2030 is a lot closer than we think it is as far as Go Boston 2030 and a lot of the Vision Zero um, congruent goals. Um, so I hope that things are going to begin accelerating um, because it, we're going we're gonna to be into the next decade pretty soon and needing to make that progress. And, and the knock-on effects of people being safer um, are that we will have a lot more capacity for our entire transportation system. So thank you both for joining us, and I hope the listener will join us for another podcast in the future. We are bringing on uh, Councillor Campbell, uh, hopefully, uh, maybe on the next one, so we can continue the conversation thank of you. exactly the frustrations you were just bringing up. Mm-hmm. Thank you both. Thank right, you. Thanks.